ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider Easy All podcast. And our guest this evening is Professor Martin Gill, who is a researcher and criminologist and founder of the Outstanding Security Performance Awards, or the OSPAs, which are now a global security award. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed. Good to be here. Thank you for the invite. Now, Martin, one of the things that you're going to be talking about at the security conference later this year in Sydney is... Uh, you know, security in a, a, well, we say post-COVID world, but this thing seems to be sort of, you know, rolling along like an unwelcome party. Um, You know, tell us a little bit about what you sort of think the world is going to look like for the security industry as we move through and come out the tail end of COVID as we all start to sort of seeing vaccines roll out and whatnot. Well, let's hope we do come out uh, pretty quickly. I think one of the, where I'm coming from on this, I think there are lessons for the whole world about learnings from COVID. And of course, many people around the world have learned that working from home, which in my early years, was seen as something that skivers do. If you wanted to get out of doing work, you'd try and work from home where you couldn't be seen. I think there's been a transformation in recent years, but fueled by the experience of COVID, that uh, remote working has got many, many benefits and uh, people seem to have worked very, very well in that environment. Um, so you've got that sort of experience that uh, applies across the board, including the security world. But I think the distinct characteristics of security I mean we need to be asking ourselves, OK, what about specifically security? For example, um, in the security world, there are a lot of people on the front line. In the security world, there are a lot of people responding to crisis. In the security world, there are a lot of people that are very visible in their work and are interaction interacting with um, the public in different forms. Uh, um, there's uh, the experience of what's the status of security post-COVID-19. Is it the case that its um, performance has been blessed and uh, praised and um, uh, therefore we will see post-COVID-19 a new perception of security? Or is it the case that any gains that have been made are likely to be superseded by any post-COVID-19 or economic austerity or hardship? What we do know about security is that it can shine in a crisis, but it's often the first to be cut back when there's economic hardship. Yes, absolutely. And for those people who are listening to this, there, there, there might be some out there sort of thinking, okay, well, where is Martin coming from? Where does he sort of get his perspective and his opinions from? So can you tell us a little bit about your background and some of the research that you do and, you know, the institute that you're involved with? Sure. So um, by background, I'm a criminologist, a professor of criminology, and uh, I run a research unit that specialises in crime and security called Perpetuity Research, where I have many colleagues who work with me every day doing research in different areas. So my first insight comes from being a researcher doing research on the, in this subject area. And we have a thing called the Security Research Initiative, which is supported by companies, where every year we do a study. And this year we've been looking at the post-COVID-19 experience for the security sector. And I hope to publish the report, which will be available free of charge from the Perpetuity Research website uh, come October. And the second uh, um, uh, school of learning has been running thought leadership webinars. So right at the start of the uh, 
uh, uh, crisis, we started to do security thought leadership webinars. We started off by doing five. And if I say today we have the 123rd, um, you will realize that that's been quite a big success. A global audience where we get uh, two, three, four panelists discussing a topic in 45 minutes. The idea is not to try and solve the world issues, but to try and understand what the issues are, how we might interpret them, and what's going to be happening next. So that's the second uh, insight into the security world. The third one is the Outstanding Security Performance Awards. Now, these are in 12 countries. We're about to announce more, by the way. So stand by for uh, uh, a big announcement soon. Um, but what I learn from the Outstanding Security Performance Awards, this is the OSPAs that are taking place in lots of different countries, including Australia in October, uh, where we're partnering with ACL and medals to uh, have a, a big award ceremony, um, is just how good the security sector is. I mean, one of the, the great things about being involved in awards is you see the entries and you get to see who is putting themselves forward and why and the work that's being done and why this is important and why this is outstanding. And uh, perhaps the revelation for me as a researcher is uh, how a world that's so good at making a big impact is equally not as good about shouting about the benefits it generates and the successes that it has. Sure. Now, obviously, across the, you know, 120-odd insight po uh, programs that you've run via Zoom and podcasts and all the rest of it and the, the, the awards that you run and all the rest of it, can I ask, over the last probably 12 to 18 months, what do you see as being the biggest takeaways so far from what's happened with security and the whole COVID pandemic globally? Well, I think the first point I would take away is that um, security is exceptionally good at what it's been doing, uh, has had some remarkable successes, but perhaps isn't the best at speaking about those successes. So that's the first thing. There's nothing new in that. But I think COVID has highlighted that, uh, that, uh, that experience. The second thing I would say is that COVID may be a global issue, but uh, the experience and the reaction of organization security personnel around the world has had to depend on a context which hasn't always given in every country the opportunity to influence in the way that uh, um, has been experienced by others and i think the third thing i would say is that uh, um, the wonderful thing about security is that when it's done well it's exceptional and makes a major impact and when it's done badly it has the complete opposite effect and uh, the characteristics that distinguish the outstanding from the poor are really, really important. And some of these are down to the direct performance of the security sector. Other parts, though, are the context in which it influences and which it is influences and is influenced by. And uh, taking account of both of those is an important next step in determining how we can have a better type of security in the future. Yeah, and it would seem that we're getting a very interesting phenomenon starting to occur uh, where the security industry has always had a bit of a bad rep in the media. It's, it's always been an easy punching bag for the media to take a go at. But with the growth of social media and the decline of paid media advertising and all the rest of it, we know that there's a, a greater and greater tendency towards media organisations trying to generate revenue through uh, click-throughs on websites. And the way that they do that 
is by baiting people with anger and all sorts of other things to get them furious enough to click on things madly and want to know, oh, what's next, what's next? And so it seems that they go looking for people to beat up on. And the security industry has been a very, very easy target in the last probably 18 months during COVID. And this comes back to your point about the security industry does not do a good job of necessarily promoting the great things that it does, which leaves it wide open to the media beating the daylights out of it for all of its perceived wrongs. Where do you see that being addressed or how do you see that being addressed? Well, I think the thing is that uh, security has to take responsibility for itself. Um, I don't think it's up to the media to suddenly uh, start saying security is great if security itself is not selling its message well. And uh, just to be clear, I mean, over the last uh, um, 15 months, there are a whole range of initiatives we've been hearing about. Some are reflecting entries to the OSPAs around the world about some really good work being done, both within organisations, by individuals, by teams, by companies, uh, and particularly by associations that have um, uh, uh, spearheaded efforts to promote the, uh, the, the best parts of the security world. And one notable success is that around the world, in some countries at least, the security workers have been defined as essential, which in a way is uh, official recognition that it makes a difference. But uh, we can get carried away here. We can extol its virtues without recognising, as I've just said, some of the barriers. And, uh, um, and associations play a big part here in working together, but it's a big budget issue. You know, publicity is, is, is not cheap and um, coordinating a diverse security sector is not easy. Um, and uh, um, um, generating interest uh, about what's good is far less interesting than uh, what goes wrong. Uh, um, but it starts. It starts with recognition there's an issue here. It starts with uh, um, coming together. And it continues with being prepared to understand what the benefits are and being able to talk to about these two different audiences in a language and a meaning uh, um, for those different audiences. Uh, not easy, important, uh, uh, work in progress. Uh, around the world, um, there are um, um, examples of where it's been started, uh, more still to be done. Yeah. So we've seen some some great instances of security doing things really well, but we've also seen some instances like here in Victoria in Australia where um, we had some issues around hotel quarantine, which weren't necessarily the fault of security, but were laid well and truly at the feet of security, which did significant damage, some might say, to the industry in this country. Um, how do you think we move beyond that? What can we do to try and claw back some of the reputational damage that's occurred during some of these COVID incidents? Well, I heard about that incident in uh, in Australia, and uh, I spoke to people involved in it, actually. Um, uh, and, it, and as you say, it seems as though there's a, certainly a case to be made that um, um, security was a scapegoat, or at least uh, there were contributory explanations which would have put that in a broader perspective. And there's no shortcut, I'm afraid, from arguing the case well when those things go wrong, because remember, Bad news is much more interesting. But the truth of the matter is the uh, private sector does not have a monopoly on uh, things going wrong, on uh, occasional poor practice, mistakes being made. Um, um, but what it does have is a much less uh, um, sophisticated way of responding. Uh, and of course, people like yourself, John, play a crucial role here in shaping the way that uh, uh, news is presented in in, uh, um, in making that available to wider audiences. I mean, uh, I appreciate that by and large that will be within the sector, but the, the role that you play is a key one. And um, 
And indeed, one of the webinars, or a couple of the webinars we've had have spoken about the, the, the role of uh, the security press and how that can play a part itself in beginning to think through the sorts of messages and how they might be articulated. I mean, you're an expert in this. This is what you do in framing opinions, reporting news, gaining the interest of those you're talking to, uh, speaking in a language that makes, uh, um, makes your readers want to read and makes people want to take attention. Uh, take attention in the in the material you're putting out so there's a role there too i think yeah absolutely i guess the key is to always try and uh, do what some in the media are not so good at doing at the moment which is to not make yourself the story and not try and frame it in such a way as to shape the narrative but allow the people listening reading watching doing whatever it may be to draw their own conclusions and form their own opinions now moving forward do you see that security will change in any significant way as a result of what we've seen happening around the world in, in the COVID pandemic? Well, it'd be interesting to see whether it does or doesn't. I mean, we can only speculate at the moment. And uh, um, and I think we I think uh, uh, there are pockets, there are companies, there are individuals, there are teams, there are products, there are services, uh, there are technologies that uh, are clearly going to excel. And, um, you know, I think one of the interesting things that came up in one of the webinars, which I'll be speaking a little bit about, uh, uh, um, when I uh, give the talk at the conference, is um, is it possible to be good in a crisis if you weren't good beforehand? Yeah. Now, um, there are certainly some who say, well, it's a different thing, and you can certainly be good in a crisis if you weren't good beforehand. But, you know, there is, an, there is a sense in which the better, more able, more respected, more competent, more skilled, more uh, 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 organised, uh, more partnerships, more focus, better delivery mechanisms, better leadership, team morale, well-being. I mean, the better all those are, uh, um, the better prepared one's going to be. And... Um, there's nothing particularly surprising in that. When you look at the most successful companies around the world, um, um, you know that this, this is the criteria by which people, uh, people do good. Uh, um, and we must remember that uh, being good at something is only ever temporary. You know, it's never permanent. Um, uh, so uh, there's always a need to keep reinventing, keep refocusing, keep rethinking, keep reengaging. And that's tough. It's hard to do. But um, I think going forward, there will be certainly very positive results for some and uh, um, some negative experiences for others. The key thing is, what are the things that we're going to learn? What are the things we're going to change and how are we going to change it? Who's going to be involved uh, uh, um, and how's that going to be meaningfully coordinated in a way that could be one can build on the good things that have happened and learn from those that haven't gone right? Yeah, and I think in this country particularly, you know, we really need to view what's happened over the last 15 months and, and potentially moving forward as a real learning opportunity for organisations to look at perhaps some of the holes in the plans that they had, some of the shortcomings in the way that other companies may have done things. Um, you know, and there's this, you know, from a crisis communication point of view, from, from my perspective anyway, I think one of the most important lessons for the industry here is when things happen like the hotel quarantine, rather than seeing it as, oh no, quick, let's hide under the desk and hope that things get better, this is really an opportunity for associations, uh, industry commentators and the companies themselves to stand up and shine, to step forward and say, this is our opportunity to take ownership over what happened and say, yep, we understand that there were issues there and here's how we're going to do it better next time. I mean, what are your thoughts around the lessons that we can learn from some of the things that have happened here? 
Well, there you go, John. So there was me saying that you're an expert and uh, that's the expertise. That's the point. And uh, you're no better than me, uh, the way in which you coordinate and uh, make a difference. But the point is to recognise that, that, that when things go wrong, it is also an opportunity. But it's more than that. It's also essential that the, uh, um, the, the, the incident is put in perspective, that there's a voice out there which is continually echoing uh, the principle of good practice and good performance and why it's important and why it makes a difference. And uh, unfortunately, perhaps, the security world is too often judged by the worst behaviour of the frontline worker. Now, the security state has to accept responsibility for that because uh, it turns out its own workers, it employs them, uh, it pays for them, and so uh, I mean, it has to take account of that. But often, um, that's the case. Now, we did a study, one of the security research studies we've done, which last year looked at careers in security. And you know what was striking about that finding for me, about that research project? It was that first and foremost, many people get into the security sector by chance. Secondly, when they do get in, they're very impressed by it. And they value things like um, type of work, serving the public, helping to protect against crime. You know, these sort of, uh, um, you're spending your life doing something. These sorts of things matter. They're helpful. Uh, um, but you don't really see adverts sort of promoting it in that way. And there is this view there's no such thing as career insecurity. That wasn't the experience of those we spoke to. There are careers, all right. I mean, the people that get to the top of often come, well, have all come through some route or other. They've got their careers. Uh, it may not be quite like the military or the law enforcement where you've got the ranks but there's a process there by which people can uh, uh, can make it into um, positions of influence and the key is to start to understand how these work what these are and let people know because uh, the effectiveness and the attractiveness of security as a career and uh, as a job are perhaps one of the best or perhaps I should say worst kept secrets out there. Yeah, I think anyone who mistakenly believes that there's no such thing as a career in security has never really looked deeply enough at the industry. I mean, here in this country, you only have to look at people like, and I've used him as an example in the past, we had a podcast with him recently, George Chin, who, you know, 20 odd years ago started as a, a guard patrol officer fresh out of the army and is now, you know, or has ended up running some of the most senior positions in the world in security companies. Um I spoke to a gentleman the other day, Angelo, who's now the uh, regional vice president for Pinkertons, who started off as a, an inquiry agent and a security guard. We have people who go to university that then, you know, move from being a security guard to having a bachelor's in criminology or a bachelor's in security science or counterterrorism and moving into all sorts of things. And even if you were just to stay, you know, at the base level as a, as a security guard, in this day and age, you are never, ever going to be without work. It may you may not when the lights go out you may not be the richest person in the graveyard but you know you will always have work well that depends slightly by country and where you live but yes i mean i think that's uh, i think that's right i think one of the one of the the big issues as well is that we tend to think of career and starting at the bottom, starting as a security officer and working the way. But that's not the only way of having a career. Absolutely, There are plenty of other entry points and plenty of other routes to progression, plenty of other ways of uh, um, reaching the top. And I think also selling those that uh, uh, are important too. And it's just not been very well done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that people will sit in school and think about their life ahead of them and may well contemplate the military or the police or fire or 
or, or, or some sort of career like that, but won't generally think about private security. And the only reason I can think of is because they haven't been confronted with the potential that it offers. And uh, I suspect that at least some of those who've only considered those state options up to now would uh, uh, um, be very interested in the alternatives, at least knowing about them. And some I'm sure will pursue them and have flourishing careers, if only they knew. Absolutely. And and I think something that's a recent advent too, is that within the last decade or thereabouts, you know, certainly within our lifetime, we have seen the proliferation and advent of, you know, uh, higher education degrees in security, which were things that 10, 20 years ago, to a large extent, didn't really exist. You know, the idea of someone doing a bachelor's, a master's, or heaven forbid, even a PhD in security science, you know, those things are all readily available now, along with cybersecurity, risk management, all sorts of avenues into the industry that just weren't there previously. Yeah, and and don't forget that um, that also reflects a growing body of knowledge mm. about uh, the security sector. And this is important too. I mean, I edit as the security journal, co-edit with Professor Bonnie Fisher, the Security Journal, which is the leading scholarly publication uh, for security articles globally. And uh, um, it's one of the sort of listed special uh, journals anyway, it happens to be in security. And uh, what we're seeing there and uh, is a flourishing uh, um, um, sequence of articles, not just written by security researchers, in fact, by and large, written by researchers in other fields, but informing the world of security, because that's how dynamic it is. Uh, um, and so a fantastic body of knowledge is emerging. And I'm very, at this very moment, actually, um, and I will be doing it today, is I'm preparing um, the third edition of the Handbook of Security. Now, this is a publication where we bring together the leading scholars in the world to write a chapter on their subject area. And, uh, and what is crystal clear is that when we started this 2006, um, the second edition of 2014, the, the third one will be next year. What is crystal clear is there's a lot more research out there now. There's a lot more thinking going on. There's a lot more uh, um, scholarly input. And that body of knowledge has its own value too. Yeah, fantastic. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to hear Martin speaking on, you know, what the security industry may potentially look like post-COVID and other great speakers like Martin, you can catch Martin speaking at the Security Exhibition and Conference from the 21st to the 23rd of July at the uh, Security Expo in Darling Harbour in Sydney. Martin, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much indeed for the invitation. My pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.